and welcome to Iconic, where we talk about all things 13th Age. I'm your host, JM, and with me as always are Nick and Mark. Hey. Hello. We have a returning guest host in Becca. Welcome back. Thanks. This has been a lot of fun. Now, this is the final episode of season two. The episode after this will start season three, in which we will have Becca as a regular host on the show. This will be your last guest host. Woohoo. Last chance to get out. I think I'm committed. Okay. So this week's episode, we have a, we're returning to class acts and looking at the occultist. Talking in our planning sessions for which episodes we wanted to do, we weren't really sure which topic we wanted to settle on. Uh, so we ended up doing a call out to all of our patrons and gave them the vote. It was like, so which one of these three topics do you want to hear us talk about? And um, the winning vote was for the occultist. So that's really why we're, we're doing it this time. Yeah. So thank you to all of our patrons, and if anyone else wants to help contribute to whether it be votes or anything else to the show, look us up at patreon.com slash iconic podcast. Yes, and thank you to all of our patrons and to everyone who listens on a, any kind of basis. Any kind of basis. Yeah, I was gonna. It's one of those weird things of the English language. Why does biweekly be both twice a week and <laughs> twice a regular month? basis? Semi annual. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, we do this because we love Thirteenth Age, but it's always good to see that other people love listening to the show as much as we like creating it. So, thank you. So, in class X, we usually start with a history through D twenty of the class, and there really is nothing for the occultist. It is a. It's interesting to say it is a one unique class for 13th age because the core of the occultist is you are the only occultist and i think and jonathan or rob can call me on this if i'm saying this wrong but i think rob generally did the class design and jonathan generally did the monster design i think this is the one that that jonathan designed and so you are the only occultist in the world and so I think kind of the only fantasy trope that I could tie this to is all of those moments in a fantasy novel or series or however you want to describe it where, no, no, the way you think it works, it doesn't work that way for this one person. Kind of the very unique thing that happens. Yeah, I couldn't re- – it, it never came up as a class and I tried to think – because it's not an unfamiliar concept. I, I think it had to be some sort of NPC or boss in ages past of, you know, we have to stop this guy because he's unraveling time or doing something like that. It would, yeah. Some, some of that nature, but it never was a main character. It was always the bad guy. And even thinking through like books and stuff that I've read, trying to come up with an example of this, I, I really st- struck a blank on it. Yeah. The one thing that popped into my mind was in... Arthurian legends, Morgan Le Fay. And again, she's often portrayed as the villain. Being able to kind of step outside of a lot of the shenanigans Merlin and Arthur put up. I mean, this is a whole variety of different stories that I'm thinking of. Mm -hmm. But in general, how people write about that character, it is a lot of, well, she's a witch and she can kind of step outside time and she can kind of mess with things and things don't quite work the same way for her that they do for Merlin or that they do for Arthur well, or. Well, I was even going to say Merlin is kind of one of those characters as well because, mm-hmm. you know, he occupies this liminal space between paganism and Christianity and how can he do what he does yet he's building a Christian kingdom in Arthur and what does that mean? And then he's gone. And it's, well, there is only one Merlin. Mm-hmm. 
kind of in the same way. So it's interesting we both went Arthurian with that. But mm-hmm. that's the level of class design that we're talking about here. <laughs> like, um, so the core mechanic of the occultist, it has a lot in common with the commander. It also mm-hmm. has a lot in common with kind of the fate weaver, which we talked about in the last episode. But you gather your focus and then you hold on to it to interrupt someone else's action. Now, I would say this requires a little bit more focus, no pun intended, on the part of the player of the occultist because it's not just your allies' turns that you're looking for. You're looking for that key moment in the combat round from the time your turn ends to the time your turn starts again. When is the best time to expend this focus? Now, if you get around to your turn and you still have your focus, they give you a quick action attack spell. It's not... Economy-wise, it's not really the, the best way to do it, but if if you miss that moment or there was no moment, you can expend your focus for damage as a quick action and then regain it. Mm-hmm. But what's really interesting narratively is your one unique thing has to be tied in to why you picked this class. You are the only occultist. I don't, there's, there's no other class that you have to tie, like, mechanically, you are supposed to tie your one unique thing in with this. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Oh, I, I love it. In fact, I, I made a note of it. And I, if I was going to play this, I would say, yes, I'm the only occultist because I'm from the 14th age. Ooh. That's how I know what's going on. And that's how uh, I can see into your future. It's my past. Oh, oh I like that a lot. Cool. Yeah. Well, and I think that any time that there's a, a mechanical hook between your out of game choices to your in game character, I think I, I applaud. Yeah. So the fact that you are forced into this, I think is a good thing. And maybe even for everyone else, having some one unique thing that has some tie, however strong or weak, to their uh, class choice, uh, I, I think there's a lesson that could be uh, yeah. learned here. Mm-hmm. But I, I like the fact that you're forced into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the other things is, we, uh, like we talked about in the previous episode, we like classes that present interesting mechanical choices for the players at the table. And... You don't just have interesting mechanical choices. Your group has interesting mechanical choices because in playing the occultist, in having that part of you that is slightly out of step with the rest of the world, you don't heal the same way as the rest of the party. As I play a cleric, I was looking at that thing and this would be very interesting in interacting with. Right. Yeah. Any magical healing, so any non-rally healing, doesn't take effect the round it happens. Even potions that you drink don't heal you until the start, one round after it was used. So if you drink a potion, the start of your next round is when you get healed. If Merit, you know, if Nick, we say Maris, but it's it's Nick is the cleric in our game. If Nick heals the occultist this round that healing doesn't take effect until next round. So suddenly all of the healing choices in the game are, do I heal the occultist now as opposed to someone else? Because any healing I put on the occultist doesn't take effect until next turn. It's, it's a toss-up between reacting to all of the other characters versus being proactive for this one character. And what choice am I going to make? Am I going to go pour the potion down the uh, the occultist's throat because I think that they're going to get hurt next time? Or am I going to go pour it down the throat of the berserker because I know they're already down? <laughs> well, yeah. it's interesting because we say that the occultist is similar to the commander in that you interrupt. Commander 
affects right now. Occultist affects reality. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you have to start thinking very outside your box, outside of your world, outside of your own mechanics to think, how is reality going to change? Because this person is now here. Yeah. Good luck, Nick. Good luck, Nick. (laughs) (laughs) So mechanics that stood out to you, strangely, I've only ever played 13th Age twice. In our iconic game, it's the Sword Mage. In the other game, it was the Occultist. Hewer of Truth as a talent is one of my favorite ones. You get to use that one. Yeah, because it's basically playing a Sword Mage. (laughs) (laughs) You you get to use an edged weapon, use your intellect instead of your strength. Mm -hmm. But what also I like about it is if you hit an enemy engaged with you with a spell, you do ongoing damage equal to your melee miss damage. And then that tears up with feet. The idea that it's Hewer of Truth, your blade is so sharp, your intellect is so keen that you hew through reality with it. It's just a mental image that I love. Mm-hmm. I kind of my mental image of that was you're concentrated on the fight the bugbear comes up and just kind of haphazardly your arm just kind of goes out and you're dueling with them and you're not even looking at them because you already know how the fight's going to go. Right. And you're parrying and striking because you know no, he's going to step to the left, strike you know, using your intellect. It's just you're not you're not, you're not the rager. That's a sword and board guy. You're just like, oh, really? Okay, here. Let me here, fight. Go away. As you're concentrating on everything else and manipulating mm-hmm. things. So one other class feature that they have is they have a unique recharge. You roll for a recharge for everything you have in recharge, but then you get to every success you can apply to whatever you want. So you get what spells you want back when they recharge, not necessarily limited to what actually comes up in recharge, which is an, it's almost like a flexible recharge, which I thought huh. was interesting. You're twisting reality. Right. right? Yeah. 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 Post to have recharged this one spell, but eh, you really wanted to do this one instead. So snap your fingers, yeah. pull those, those threads of reality and boom, you've got there it. There you go. Mm-hmm. So what stood out to you guys? I really liked the other world shadow talent. Oh, you don't. Yes. Um, you know, <laughs> All the yes. Beckas are being taken. <laughs> it's fine. I'm just, I'm just checking them off. I really do like the occultist talent. So yeah. yeah and it's hard to pick, you know, which one's the favorite, but I, I just was thinking that this, because it's almost like your shadows acting of its own volition. I, I kept in my mind picturing, um, the Peter Pan cartoon mm-hmm. where Peter Pan's trying to affix his shadow back to himself because mm-hmm. it's running amok. I was just thinking it'd be fun to, to run that as like a player run P- NPC almost, um, that soaks damage. I mean, at least once a, mm-hmm. once, I don't know if it's a day or per battle, but, day. um, it Basically, negates all damage from one person. So even if they have a multi-attack against you, all of those attacks are negated. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> See, I, I like that one, too, also for the story element. If my idea, one, is you're from the 14th age, and it's like, okay, we don't want to do that. Well, this otherworldly shadow, that's how I know everything is going on. This guy isn't from this world. Mm-hmm. He whispers in my ear mm-hmm. and once in a while keeps me alive. Well, also, all mooks that go on that initiative count. Yeah. You can just say, well, that mook group doesn't do damage to me this round. Neener, neener. GMs love that. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Becca, we'll let you go next because we've stolen two of yours. Uh, um, So... You can tell us about the shadow. What's your take on the shadow? I think similar to to your guys, I did think of Peter Pan, and it was kind of one of those, maybe this otherworldly shadow is what's whispering. Uh, It also reminds me of uh, the Princess and the Frog. Mm -hmm. The the voodoo man. man. Yeah, Yeah, the shadow man and his friends from the other side. It's a creepy song, but it's fine. Uh, But 
the warp flesh talent. When you cast a spell and the target's mental defense is too high, you can say, well, then I want to attack their physical defense mm-hmm. instead and kind of just essentially attack whichever one is lower. Right. Which is super nice. Yeah. Now, one of the other interesting things is when we get into their spells, because you have to give up your standard action, mm-hmm. and it's not like the commander where you have extra command points. If you roll badly on the spells, if you all of these spells have a, a retained focus range, where if the natural roll is between usually one and five, mm-hmm. you don't actually expend it, and you have it at least to cast rebuke, because, you know, they are... Interrupt actions, you only get one. But at least if you have focus and you totally flub it, you're at least going to get to do rebuke when it comes back around to your turn. Right. What spells stood out to you guys? Call of Doom. Your last chance, you know, where your last chance of what? You know what? I'm going to blast you. It's a fifth level, page 100. Before you start making your save, like, nope, I'm going to blast you. Mm -hmm. You You drop to zero and you drop to zero. No, no, wait, wait. Boom. Yeah. That's a good one. A lot of the spells are really good and they're on, oh, what? My ally missed? Bam, you know, inevitable fall, better yet here. Just there's so many of them that just do things like, nope, nope. Well, he missed you, but oh, you're going to take psychic damage anyway. Just because. My question for that one, um, as I read it, it's an at will spell. And it's if you drop to zero hit points or below or roll a death saving throw. Does that mean if I drop to zero, it goes off? And then once I roll my death save, does it go off again? I think so. That's how I would. And then if it. I miss that, it goes off for a third time. Like so, the first time would be an interrupt, and then after that, it would um, effectively be. Well, it's a free action to cast it. Yeah. So there is no. Oh, there's see. no focus cost. There's no. Yeah, and you can cast a spell without having your focus. If the trigger is you dropping, you cast it before you drop. If the trigger is a death save, you cast it while unconscious. Even this state, even that state, you can still assert your will upon reality. Yeah, I think it's one that just keeps going off as long as you meet the conditions. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that's how I would run it. That's yeah. 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 I wouldn't. I'd allow him to do it once. I don't know if I'd let him do it over and over and over for seventy six. Well, think about it. Ninth it's, level is ten d ten. Yeah, but it's oh, zero. Ten d ten. All right, next round, make your death save. Oh, I failed. Ten d ten. Yeah. Well, it's not. It's not even. It's not fail a death save. It's, it's roll a death roll save. Death. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. It just as you keep. If you keep failing and you're there dying slowly every round when you're doing that, you're just. It's awesome. Is it yeah. this? Reality unleashing from yeah. the body as it's dying. That's 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 yeah. kind of how I see it. Yeah. Just imagine what happens when you actually do die. But because and when but you do die, what you create a black hole. Probably. But, here, but here's the thing: you are saying out of all of the the limited number of spells I can take, I have this one spell that only goes off when I die. All right, so you're basically playing down a spell until the GM drops you. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Nick, what's yours? I'm, I'm a little bit worried about saying what it is, but. <laughs> I really liked the fateful confrontation. The You target an unengaged enemy, and then anyone can make melee attacks against that enemy as if engaged until its next turn. Uh, and in my mind, just thinking about warping reality to bridge the distance, whatever mm-hmm. that may be, uh, between you and that target. Mm-hmm. I really liked uh, Blood for Blood. It starts off when one of your allies is staggered. You get to do this damage, and it makes it vulnerable. The damage scales... But the feats are really where I where I think the spell shines. <laughs> hey, at Adventurer Feet, now when uh, basically any effect goes on an ally, you can cast this spell. 
and at champion, you remove the save for the vulnerability. And then you get to retain your focus on a 1 to 15. So you know what? Not only am I <laughs> going to cast Blood for Blood, but then I'm going to rebuke you on the start of my turn. That's a spell that once I hit third level would always stay in my yeah. repertoire. Well, the last one that I would be interested in is it's ninth level. It's Rewind the Skeins. And it's not a combat spell, mm-hmm. but it's a... <laughs> <laughs> the trigger is you realize the last two minutes of adult, out of battle roleplay or existence have gone horribly wrong. You want to rewind and try again. Um, and especially in games that I run, I could definitely see this being useful. I mean, or even just you're there and you're talking to somebody and then suddenly all the guards show up and you're thrown in jail and everything goes terribly wrong. Rewind reality by two minutes. Just look at everybody and say, we got to go now. Yeah. And and nobody else knows what happens. And it's a lot like resurrection it. where it's like you can cast this spell once a level. Yes. Which basically means what? Twice. twice? Once at ninth, once at tenth. Yes. Like, and if you take the feat, you get five minutes back. And and it doesn't sound like a lot, but if you know that something happens that triggers a battle against the ancient red dragon in the volcano, well, maybe we should go back and yeah, or when your barbarian pisses off the king and you guys are all being dragged away to the gallows, you're like, yeah, yeah. all right, shut him up. Well, as long as it only happened in the last two minutes. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Or five if you take the feet. Because I read once per level as your character level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, right. so twice. Not ninth. So, th- so, so at ninth and at tenth. Ninth level? So you do it ten times at tenth level. Oh, no, no. I, 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 you can only cast it once per level. Like, oh, I see what you're saying. You're saying you Why can't. Why is it by character uh, level? Uh, I guess you're right. It's out of combat, so it's not huge. Now, it would help when Maris goes to lick something. You're like, no. Well, Rewind. Luckily, different game. Different game. <laughs> Maris is not the licker. <laughs> no, but Nick's characters lick things. So and I think it's limbs. only a matter of time. So the Rewind the Skeins, uh, that one made me uneasy. Mm-hmm. Unless it's only cast twice per game. And the reason why it makes me uneasy <laughs> is in my Numenera game, there's a very similar ability called Erase Memories. And I've got some characters who have almost overused that. And it's caused a lot of like issues. Mm-hmm. Like, because then all of a sudden it negates consequences for choices. Or right. when you start going in there and you start pissing off the king, oh, I'm just going to rewind the clock. I'm going to erase some memories and everything's all hunky-dory. Um, but the fact that it's a limited time frame, just mm-hmm. two minutes, mm-hmm. usually by the time you actually, it's escalating to that point, it's been longer than two minutes of in-game time. Um, and the fact that it can only be done a couple of times per game make, makes me feel a little bit more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Just from experience, I, I got uneasy reading that. <laughs> no, and I understand because I definitely can see different characters that I've played with or I've seen run in games and imagining them rewinding over and over and over again does. Yeah, but it's not, see, I look at it this way. Not everyone's going to try to play this character. No, that's no. true. Oh, okay. The people that are making the... Right. I'm saying not, not everybody would want to. So the people who make the bad choices probably wouldn't play this character. And if I was playing it, I'm like, if you made a dumb choice and you lost your arm, suck it. Yeah. Well, or, that's one of the things you can... One, I got to have it yeah. listed. Right. And the other thing is, hey, it's your choice. Right. I'm going to change things that affect me. Right. Mm. Like that whole, you're in front of the king and things are going terribly wrong. And so you rewind two minutes knowing that you can't change enough, but maybe you can change what you say. So the king is like everybody except for you. That's right. <laughs> You're like, okay, I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> Have fun, guys. Now, Mark gave us some, an interesting one unique thing for this class. 
time traveler, you know, coming back from the 14th age. What are some backgrounds or some one unique things that you could see if you were going to play the occultist? And it, it's worth pointing out, as Robin Jonathan did, that in this case, occult means hidden or secret power, not dealing with cultists as in like Cthulian entities. Although I suppose there is some overlap in the Venn diagram between occultism and Cthulhu. But doesn't have to be. But doesn't yeah, have to you be. You could be sent back here by Cthulhu. Yogg-Sothoth. Yeah. You need to change something to hasten. He is the gate and the key. So if you had to come up with one unique thing or a background for this class, what mm-hmm. would you use? I think I would use something along the lines of not being of this world, not being of this time and being sent back, being sent forward, not being from here, essentially. Mm-hmm. And whether that is like Mark's being sent back from the 14th age or it's I died once and now I'm back. I died 300 years ago and now I'm back. I have no idea what's going on. You know, a vampire stole your memory for 350 years and suddenly you realize, oh, here I am. Everything has changed. And I know a little bit more than you do, but I don't want to know why. Yeah. Or playing off of Mark's idea, you died 300 years in the future. Mm -hmm. Why are you back? And why back here? Yeah. Yeah. What do you have to go and change? Crazy guy with white hair showed up at the DeLorean. So (laughs) yeah, that that makes sense. Dumped you here. So uh, for my one unique thing, I I thought it'd be fun just to say that I I was born of two chaos mages. Ooh. You know, because chaos mages, there's not just one of them. Right. It could be more. And when they prolificate, all of a sudden you've got this really weird reality bending child. But as far as backgrounds go, I probably would want to initially tie it to whatever race I was playing. Uh, so a couple thoughts I had was like, if I was going to be a dwarf, I was born from a sacred rock in the Temple of Forge. Human emerged from the Midland Sea with scattered memories. A gnome, I brewed the only perfect batch of mushroom absinthe and drank it. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw sound and, yeah. and I Suddenly hear color. I, <laughs> I feel like that's Nick's background for basically like the abomination and the occultist mm-hmm. and the fate weaver. These are very flexible backgrounds. <laughs> what about you, Mark? Yeah, I just... I. I like the idea of coming from the future, either willingly or unwillingly, to fix something, and that's why you know certain things. You know, either for good, you need to stop this from happening because it's going to affect us, and that gets in the whole timeline thing, which can be tricky, uh, or Cthulhu sends you back to hasten his entrance. You need yeah. to kill the paladin so his progeny doesn't stop and maybe you don't know it right Mm -hmm. you don't know that this is the yeah Mm -hmm. um, i had one where i was like my one unique thing was i don't know how it tied into a background it would probably be some sort of like arcane intuition but basically we have you know it said that the archmage has all of these wards and all of the ley lines and everything runs perfect and simple or not simple but perfectly throughout the dragon empire and smooth because of all of the Archmage's formulas. I'm that remainder. I'm that one piece that mm. couldn't be accounted for, or I'm the one person who doesn't have a destiny that the gods can see. Like, I'm the blind mm. spot, and that's why I have these, like, you know, the gods don't see me. So that's kind of where I would go with it. All right, well, thoughts on the class? So It feels really unique, but part of me is wondering if that's coming from the there's only one aspect. Like, if you were to remove that... That there's only one and say this isn't a unique class, um, that there are a number of occultists uh, uh, around in the world or perhaps even uh, uh, enclaves of occultists. I think it takes a little bit of that 
feel mm-hmm. away from it. Um, I, I can certainly see, and I don't know how true this is, but I can see a lot of elements in the different classes of Dark Pacts and Ancient Secrets having ties or flavors from the occultist. And so I, I don't know, may, maybe the question of, well, how can I unpack this and make this a little bit less unique? And uh, maybe that's kind of where some of these those other classes came from. Uh, one of our patrons in, in voting, he commented that he doesn't allow it at his table. And I haven't had the chance to talk to him yet about just kind of explore that, you know, why don't you allow it at your table other than this whole reality bending aspect to it? Yeah. Well, I think just mechanically, as I was looking through this, I think one of the reasons that it could be unique is because you really don't want more than one player at the table who spends their turn waiting to interrupt. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like that could be that could be one of the reasons. I don't know. But if you were to be doing an, uh, an occultist and a commander, I mean, both of them are waiting for those interrupts. Right, options. but they have different ways that those kind of come out. Like the spells of the occultist have different triggers and effects. In general, the commander is about taking what's already there and just allowing them to do better. In more of a support role, the occultist does this in more of a spellcasting role, and I don't, I don't know if that's one of the reasons why they were sure. like. And, and definitely takes, I think, a, definitely a special player to run it the way. If you read through it, to read it, you know, uh-huh. don't play it just because of all the mechanical boons. Yeah, this is a unique character has great storytelling. So some people are like, hey, you know what? I'm it, maybe he just doesn't allow it because of the players that sit at his table. He's that like, could be. I definitely think there are some players that I have that would be great playing an occultist because they would have the storytelling, they would have the tactical kind of mindset for this. And then there are other players that I could see trying to play this and I would probably want to kindly push them in a different direction because it's it can get really heady. It can get really, like, you have to be in the nitty gritty. And if that exhausts you... That's where you had the Ram Jurassic step on them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. Right. Well, as you said, you know, it's one of those classes that requires you to really kind of step out of the game and play the game mm-hmm. right do you guys feel like it has any natural ties to any of the icons or would that really be dependent on your one unique thing well i mean you had that very natural tie with the archmage right mm-hmm. um where you were the re- the remainder mm-hmm. of all of his calculations you were that that blind spot so i mean that's an example of the background would create that natural tie in with with the icon yeah, yeah. all Thanks. right any icon that has the power to drag you from the future or from the past prince the Prince of Shadows. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, that is a natural He's a manipulator right. at heart. Yeah. I was thinking of the Diabolist. You know, if that source of your reality shifting, that, that chaos element would be coming maybe from the underworld and you think you're controlling reality and maybe in a sense, you don't realize it till maybe you hit like seventh or eighth level that you're really a pawn and you don't realize it. And mm-hmm. so then maybe there's an element of how do I regain control of this? I have this ability and I have this power. I want to be the one in control. I don't want to be used. That'd be really interesting with a GM because that is their tie. The GM can kind of mark which spells the occultist has. And every single time that they cast blood for blood, you kind of put a tick mark there. And at level seven, you go, so here's the horde that you have raised because you keep breaking reality and this is what is able to sneak through when you cast this spell. And so for the past seven levels, you've cast this spell. Great. Here's 340 imps. Yeah. (laughs) Congratulations. I like that idea. Like every time you use it, it yeah, at seventh level, you finally, man, hellhole just opened up in Harrowdale. Wait a minute. I cast blood for blood there and that helps rip reality. Mm -hmm. That's where the hellholes come from is because you're ripping. Oh, that's another great one. Unique thing. You are the Diabolist's tool in the world and you don't know it. Yeah. <laughs> now, could you see porting this into a more standard fantasy setting? Like, do you think that this one 
because we talked about like the last one we did, the commander is pretty ubiquitous in fantasy settings. Do you see the occultists kind of really being, no, this is really Dragon Empire? Or like if you're running a game in the Forgotten Realms, could you see like kind of pulling it in there? Or even into the Glorantha, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd allow it in Glorantha. That's interesting. <laughs> you could be, oh, you would be, it would be perfect for like a wizard, like an actual wizard. Yeah, it, it would probably depend on your backgrounds and your icons. And if you are going with the whole, well, every single time you cast a spell, you're renting reality. I mean, that's a standard and a lot of a fantasy. Lot of fantasy. Yeah. And now you're able to move from this reality into this other one. And whether that's changing planes of existence or times or whatever, I could see it being a standard fantasy. A la wheel of time. Yeah. Yeah. Balefire. No, don't do that ever again. That's right. I totally yeah. just thought of a fictional character, Neo from Matrix. You know, yeah, that's that's why I went with the remainder of the Archmage. Oh, it's yeah. kind of Mark's idea about Balefire just made me think. Another one, un- great one, unique thing was. All right, guys, I, I cast a ritual version of rewrite the skeins. We were tenth level. I had to come back and tell you something. Crap, I forgot what it is, <laughs> and that's why you're the occultist. You were. You were 10th level, but you you rewound all the way back to first. You went back too far. You went back too far. (laughs) Can't remember. And so it's like, okay, now we got to make sure we get through this. I think you need to stay alive. I think it's okay if you die. I think it's... (laughs) Put on this red shirt. That's right. (laughs) Well, any final thoughts on the class? Any final comments? I'd like to hear from our patrons whether they'd like it uh, Mm -hmm. at their table or not. Yeah. I would want, if I was the GM, I would want to put in some sort of consequence for every time you're messing with reality. Well, I liked your idea about certain spells having Mm -hmm. that effect. Mm -hmm. I think that if you were to have all of their spells um, have that consequence, I I think that would be almost punishing the player. Oh, yeah. It depends on how you would do it. My initial thought was that, but if you had a player who was a glutton for punishment, Becca, um, you (laughs) you could totally build that in. And even if it was just a one or two heal up worth of, hey, you better go deal with this now. Mm-hmm. That could be a spotlight episode for the occultist. Because let's be honest, yeah. if you're playing the occultist, in one sense, you want to have something special happening to you because you are the only occultist. I guess it's just a matter of scaling it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, like, and you got a good point. Working with the player. Mm-hmm. You know, making sure that you're not suddenly sh- dropping the, the curtain on them and realize every time you've cast this spell, you've opened a hellhole. Like, well, if right. I had known that, I wouldn't have been doing it. You know, it, right. you need to have the interaction. And I think that if the GM and the player were to work together on that, I think mm-hmm. they could um, collaboratively come up with a really good way that makes everyone happy and like, have those spotlight yeah. moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think I would be like, oh, every single time you cast this, there's a giant new hellhole. But it'd be like, and a demon slips out mm-hmm. and an imp comes through and somebody comes back from the dead. Like that shouldn't be coming back from the dead. Like nothing like Oh, you cast this first level spell. Congratulations, the world is broken. <laughs> It'd be more, well, you twisted, so the twists had to happen here as well. That would be um, awesome if in like the end of the first arc, you know, they kill this minor named villain and then he or she comes back in ninth or tenth level and they're like, Oh yeah, I didn't die. What do you mean you didn't die? Well, I was supposed to, but that occultist spell that you cast. Or that ritual occultist spell that you mm. did. Yeah, there's a couple that, I mean, their names, Moment of Karma, Timely Mistake, Fortune Smiles. And 
it would be those that'd be like, okay, those are the spells because we're talking about karma. Yeah. Here you are trying to cast good karma. Well, if there's going to be good karma here, where's the where's the karma. flip? Yeah. Where's the other side of that coin? Cool. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash iconic podcast or by using our Amazon referral link, which you can find in our show notes or on our website to do your online shopping. Well, you've been listening to the Iconic Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can contact us at iconicpodcast at gmail.com or call and leave a voicemail at 720-924-1706. And be sure to check out iconicpodcast.com for news, updates, and new episodes. Thanks for listening.